Welcome to a special episode of This Old Tree, the show that features heritage trees and the human stories behind them. I'm your host, Doug Still. This time, we're taking a break from a big feature story to let listeners tell their own tree stories. As I like to say, do not underestimate the power of storytelling to motivate and inspire people to protect trees. There's a growing body of scientific research that quantifies the ecosystem benefits of trees, how much carbon they store, how they contribute to cleaner water, how they improve public health, the role of tree canopy in mitigating climate change, and this is all crucial to bolster efforts to plant trees and protect forests. But tell the tree's backstory, and better yet, give it a name, and you will see loud public advocacy like you've never seen it before. Besides, as human beings, we just love stories. So here's your turn. I hope you enjoy these as much as I have. Let's jump right in with Tree Story Shorts. This old tree Standing here for more than four centuries Wonder what you'd say if you could talk to me About what it's like to be this old tree So this is a story of perseverance the story of the little Mexican palm tree that could, if you will. So I'm here on the island of Cozumel, where my wife and I have had a place since early 2005. In 2005, there was the mother of all hurricanes that happened to pass over the island of Cozumel, and decided to sit on top of the island for 72 hours. The maximum sustained winds at the southern part of the island were 185 miles per hour. So it was a beast. Her name was Wilma. And the trees here on the island have just about recovered maybe three to five years ago the effects of Wilma were no longer obvious. So a solid 15-year recovery for the vegetation. Anyway, there's, uh, this is sort of before Facebook, but we had a little message board, and um, we used to frequent it all the time, sharing information about the island. Anyway, after the hurricane, there was a fellow named Antonio Martinez who's still around, I think. He's a, he's a tour guide and works at one of the hotels. He was one of the first people to make a trip around the island to the east side, which is basically uninhabited, no infrastructure, just a road along the ocean with a beautiful coastline. So Antonio took a ride around the island after the hurricane, and he found that most everything had been leveled except for this one little coconut palm, which is not a native here. They were brought to the Americas in the 1500s, but uh, very naturalized all over the Caribbean and South America. But as he drove around the island, he made the turn onto the east side road passing south, and there's this one little palm tree that made it through that storm, through those 185-mile-an-hour winds. And he posted a picture of it on the message board with the quote from the Elton John song, 
I'm still standing, in quotes. So now, to this day, every time I drive around the east side of the island, there's a big barren patch of lower palms and different types of sea grape and lower vegetation. But there's that one tree, and it's there to greet you as you come around the corner of the island. And I can't help but sing the song in my head every time I drive around. So I'm still standing. The story of the little Mexican coconut palm that persists to this day. That was Tom Mora, arborist and owner of T.F. Mora Tree Care here in Rhode Island, bringing us a story of a tree that persevered through a ferocious storm. Here's another professional arborist, Katie Brukers, who is continuing her education at the University of New Brunswick in urban forest ecology, and who also hosts a podcast called Tangled Trees. Check it out. She tells us about a charming old horse chestnut that has also persevered because of, and somewhat in spite of, past efforts to care for it. I would like to share my favorite tree experience as an arborist. In Stratford, Ontario, on a corner just off of the main street, there is a beautiful, mature specimen with quite a story. This horse chestnut has been there for I don't even know how many years. It is a staple within that community. While I was working on this tree, I had multiple neighbors come out to ensure that I wasn't actually removing it. And they continued to share stories with me about how they grew up with that tree and how they had seen it change over the years and how there wasn't really many like it in the area. The coolest part about this tree from when I first walked up to it is there's a girdled metal bench that was cut away a few years back. This tree was originally planted in the middle of a round metal bench. So I often find myself wondering what type of stories were shared or what type of moments were shared on that bench before it was cut away. A little further up in the trunk, there's lots of concrete. So this is a traditional method in arboriculture to support a tree, one that is now (laughs) clearly wrong. Beyond this, there's cavities upon cavities in this trunk. It creates this gnarly, beautiful, abstract-looking formation. Within these cavities is a ecosystem in itself, from fungi to bacteria to insects, and the most adorable of all is a family of raccoons. So while I was kind of climbing and preserving this tree and doing full assessments, I had this fluffy face pop out of a cavity and greet me. I committed in that moment that I was going to do everything I could to preserve this tree and keep it there for years to come. Unfortunately, even though it was previously cabled and braced, a section of the main trunk had failed. It was up to me to kind of take this out safely, remove any hazard to the client, and then also reduce the overall canopy to kind of prevent that from happening. I installed a dynamic cable system to a lead that was remaining just because I knew that wind forces and wind loading would now be thrown off because this lead that had failed would create a new exposure. Overall, this tree is magnificent. It's one of the most twisted and stunning examples of what a mature specimen can be in an urban environment. And it really shows how much ecosystem benefit an old tree being retained in the landscape can have. 
I really hope it stands for future generations because I know for the previous generations before me, it was already a centerpiece. And I think we need more of that in this world. Next, we hear from Gene Zimmerman, arborist and author of seven books, who has made the history of Manhattan a central focus in both her fiction and nonfiction. She's working on a new book entitled Heartwood, the epic tale of America's forests and the battle over their fate. But right now, it's the Copper Beach that most captures her imagination. My name is Jean Zimmerman. My favorite tree would have to be the Copper Beach, Fagus sylvatica atropurpurea. When I was growing up in a little town in New York's Hudson Valley, we would gather beneath what we called the elephant tree. The landmark stood on the overgrown lawn of the long-abandoned mansion of Billy Burke, famed as Glinda the Good Witch in The Wizard of Oz. The tree drew kids of all ages to congregate beneath its distinctive umbrella-like branches. Tree guru Michael Durr chose the copper beach as, quote, one of my great plant loves, and from childhood it has been one of mine too. A local attraction in my hometown, the elephant tree's knob-kneed trunk resembled nothing so much as the thick legs of its namesake animal. Here was every kid's dream, a private, self-contained refuge from the wider world. From the outside, long branches twisted sinuously from the crown to the ground, spreading outward like a hoop skirt. Inside this protected space, we found cathedral light and branches that were perfect for climbing. Kids hid there, gossiped there, made out there. The trunk was hashed with initials and hearts. Brought to America in the 1660s, the towering European beach tops out at a full 70 feet. The cultivar, Copper Beach, takes its place among many landmarked gardens and properties. The grand homes of Newport are known for their beaches. Lindhurst in Tarrytown, New York, the former estate of Robert Baron Jay Gould, boasts an imposing collection. Wave Hill, the public garden in New York City's Riverdale section of the Bronx, features two copper beaches that sit across a park lane from each other, like kissing cousins. Wave Hill has a storied past, including notable occupants such as Theodore Roosevelt and Mark Twain. The latter said of the estate, I believe we have the noblest roaring blasts here I have ever known on land. They sing their hoarse song through the big treetops with a splendid energy that thrills me and stirs me and uplifts me and makes me want to live always. Copper might be a slight mischaracterization of the hue of the tree's leaves, which can change over the course of a season from a reddish purple in spring to blackish purple by summer. As for those knees, the older trunks have bulges and burls that are quite unlike any other tree, and something about its bark begs for the jackknives of starry-eyed young romantics. At Wave Hill, the trunk of one tree has been pretty well graffiti gouged while the other cousin is pristine. Many people over time have found beech bark useful for leaving your mark. On a stage road in Tennessee, Daniel Boone once killed a bear. Nearby stood a huge beech tree and Boone carved into its trunk. D. Boone killed a bar in 1760. Virginia Woolf name-checked the beach in Night and Day. Quote, it seemed a mere toss-up whether she said, I love you, or whether she said, I love the beech trees, or only, I love, I love. Some people find autobiographical messages on beach bark annoying. I don't. Thoreau said, I frequently tramped eight or ten miles through the deepest snow to keep an appointment with a beech tree. 
I like to think of some lost soul slogging miles through a mysterious, tangled forest, too shy to unburden himself to the person he cares for, and surreptitiously taking switchblade out of pocket to pronounce, on bark, indelibly, the sentiment, I love, I love. Beech nuts can be consumed by deer and bear, as well as by birds and rodents, and by humans who have been known to roast and brew them in place of coffee. A nice place to drink a cup would be under the sweeping, twisted, copper-colored branches of an elephant tree. Ghosts of Mark Twain, Daniel Boone, and Virginia Woolf, you are cordially invited. Also in New York State is Andy Hillman. As a former city forester and past president of the Society of Municipal Arborists, Andy has a long history of promoting new methods for getting trees to grow to their full potential and also communicating with people. He has a way of seeing things in a way that we don't. Could it be the birds that helped his favorite tree reach for the sky? So back in the 1990s, I was city forester for Ithaca, New York, and working with Dr. Nina Bassick on bare root tree planting. We planted a lot of different species bare root. We would try them in the spring, try them in the fall. We did a lot of uh, experimentation. And we planted so uh, lots of oaks. One of the oaks we planted was Skymaster English oak, Quercus rober, Skymaster. And th- that tree uh, has, has been a really good performer for us in Ithaca. One in particular that I'm really fond of, I planted in front of a, of a, a gentleman's house whose name was Guy Girard. And Guy was French. He called them French oaks, not English oaks. Uh, you know, so I think they have a different take on Quercus Rober. I believe that's the oak that they use for wine barrels. Anyway, Guy was really happy with this little tiny oak tree we planted. It was uh, an inch and three quarter bare root tree. It cost the city about $80 back in the late 90s and was planted with volunteers from Dr. Bassick's Cornell University class. Well, Guy hung a bird feeder in that, in that tree. It wasn't real tiny. It was about eight, nine feet tall, an inch and three-quarter in diameter. But he hung a big bird feeder in it, and I was a little concerned about that. But he liked the tree so much that I just thought, okay, we'll just leave it there. Anyway, I don't know if it was uh, the bird droppings or Guy's care and watering, but that tree really took off. And today it towers over the three-story building in which he had his apartment. This it truly is a sky master. And when I drive by there, I think, wow, that was such a bargain for the city. And it wasn't all that long ago that it was just uh, just planted. And now it's an amazing tree doing all that work for the city, all the uh the good ecosystem benefits that we want from our urban forest. So I really recommend Quercus Rover Skymaster and Guy Girard. I don't know where he is these days, but um, I hope he still gets to enjoy that tree as well. Thanks. From New York, we head to Yosemite National Park in California to appreciate the unexpected. Our next guest is Thomas Badia the host of the My Favorite Trees podcast. I love the podcast because it dives deep into the characteristics of featured tree species and how cultural history overlaps with their ecological or natural history. Here's Thomas. 
Hi, my name is Thomas. I'm a podcast host and seasonal park ranger. In the summer of 2021, I was working in Kings Canyon National Park in California, but in October of that year, I had to be evacuated due to the KNP complex fire. I was temporarily relocated to nearby Yosemite National Park, which was exciting for me because I had never been there. And one of the days I was there, I was exploring Yosemite Valley and enjoying the yellow-gold shade of the fall season, and I saw a pop of orange-red in the corner of my eye. And this made me stop in my tracks because I realized I was looking at this beautiful sugar maple. And I love sugar maples personally because they were the first trees I ever learned how to identify. But this tree in particular surprised me because sugar maples don't naturally grow anywhere west of the Great Plains. And I was thousands of miles from this tree's native forest. And I wondered what on earth this tree was doing so far from home and later learned that this tree, this sugar maple, was a remnant of one of this valley's past lives. California's gold rush in the mid-19th century brought waves of settlers who explored the Sierra Nevada mountains, but instead of finding gold, some found the most beautiful glacially carved valleys in the world and decided to settle there. And where protected meadows now exist, a western frontier town had once taken over Yosemite Valley, and the townspeople took to making a comfortable life for themselves. This included planting non-native trees. In many cases, they planted fruit trees like apple trees, and these would feed their families. But in other cases, settlers planted trees that simply reminded them of the home that they had left behind, including this sugar maple that stands just opposite the Yosemite Chapel. And yes, it's in a national park, and it's a species that's not native to the valley. But it's not invasive, it's not doing any harm to the natural environment around it. And so, the national park lets it thrive because it's now a cultural resource. It helps tell the story of this amazing place, all the different versions that this place has been. And I was very happy to see that that story was protected, while also adding an extra touch of unexpected beauty to an already beautiful place. Bear Lavangi is the co-founder of the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop based in Vermont, which has been taught by women for women since 2009. It's an inspirational and much-needed professional program. You'd never see me up there with ropes and harness and chainsaw. What I didn't know, however, was that when pruning the crown of an evergreen tree, an arborist might be on the lookout to sustainably harvest a Christmas tree? Hello, dedicated listeners of This Old Tree Podcast. My name is Bear Lavangi, co-founder, lead instructor, and executive director of the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop. First and foremost, thank you, Doug, for providing this wonderful piece of tree documentary for the world. And secondly, for inviting me to share a story about a tree that's impacted my life. I contemplated a while about which tree I would speak about because to share only one story about the standing people is too arduous. They've all impacted me, and that is why I've really dedicated my life to arboriculture. However, after recognizing that this month is the month of winter solstice, I had a moment of clarity. This magic month of December is all about celebrating trees, so whether it is a gift of peace from one nation to another, a family tradition of picking out one special tree from a Christmas tree farm, or walking into the woods to cut and drag a tree home, we all recognize the beauty and charisma that a tree brings to our holiday season. This year... I hope to be blessed with a co-dominant lead from a tree that needs pruning. It shall be between four and six feet tall and only two and a half feet in canopy circumference to fit in the small corner of the kitchen dining room area. 
So why is this month ma- magical? Well, for me, it's easy. Besides Arbor Day, this tree-centric month celebrates rituals. From the moment you bring the tree into your abode, you are encouraging the smell of freshly cut evergreen to waft through your home. Once you cut off the base and get it into the stand, the debate of whether to hydrate it with water or ginger ale might start. While decorating, you still need to choose between strands of white or rainbow-colored bulbs, which ornaments come out of the box and whose days, and then who gets to live where on the tree and how deep into the canopy it must go. Then, when you go to bed, you need to decide, will the tree go dark or will it continue to glow in all of its glory? In the next coming weeks, the celebration continues with more watering and then placing all the lovely wrapped gifts under it. Finally, after culmination or post-holiday, which day is the exact moment to dethrone your green and now shedding hero? Please remember to honor your tree for giving its life to your celebration and to share your love of tree magic by recycling or composting your evergreen hero. To all of you that celebrate, happy winter solstice, happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas. May the tree you choose bring you joy and peace for you and your family. We heard about birds from Andy, and birds also make their way into this story from Walt Warner in Hawaii. Walt has served with just about every professional tree society you can think of, from the International Society of Arboriculture to Street Tree Seminar, Inc., the Society of Municipal Arborists, SMA Municipal Forestry Institute, the National Urban and Community Forest Advisory Council, you get the picture. In this story from a rainforest, you can just hear the sound of the rain in the background. Hi, my name is Walt Warner. I'm a consulting urban forester, and I work primarily in California. But I grew up in Hawaii, and that's where I first became inspired to become an urban forester and work with nature. Where I live in a little place called Kahalu, it's up against the Ko'olau Mountains. And across the stream, uh, right out my back door, is pretty much a rainforest. But there is specifically one stand of trees that are Java plum trees. And they've all grown together and they've become one gigantic organism. The trees stand about 85 feet tall. They have a canopy spread or a total spread of probably 100 feet plus. And they're surrounded by, at the base of the trees, they're surrounded by California grass. It's a tall grass that gets to be about six feet, seven feet tall. It's very thick grass. And then uh, there's also another plant called the shampoo ginger. It's a ginger plant. It's a is very aggressive and it just takes over everything. And then in the canopy, the canopy itself is made up of probably 35, 40% of split leaf monstera. That's a philodendron. A lot of times people use it as a house plant. But when it's planted and growing in the wild, it will creep up a tree and it'll eventually take over the entire tree. And the taller the, the, the vine grows up to the higher parts of the tree, the larger the leaves get. Now, this monstera is exceptionally attractive because it's variegated, so it's green and yellow. And it's always putting on a show at some time of the year or another. Another thing about this tree is there's probably, I don't know, 50, 70, 80, 100 
birds that live in this tree. See them flying in and out all the time. And uh, it's quite the busy tree, especially since uh, in the surrounding area, some of the trees have been cut down and you can see the birds flying around and now they've started to make their home in the big Java plum across the stream. But it was this tree that I look at all the time that uh, reminds me of why I do what I do and why I love trees because trees can do anything. And this guy here just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's taken on tons of weight with this Monstera, but doesn't care and it keeps growing. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. The big Java plum. And for our last story, we return to Rhode Island to hear the resonant voice of Mike Mano, a personality on local radio station WCRI and also as a leader in the barbershop music world. You can hear him sing as a bass with the Narragansett Bay Chorus or his current quartet, Trade Secret. What better way to end our episode than with a family tree hug? Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Mayno, and I'd like to tell you a story that happened about 35 years ago. This is not just a great memory for me, but also for my son, Justin, who's now in his early 40s. We lived in the village of Lime Rock, Rhode Island, part of the town of Lincoln, with almost 100 acres of woodlands behind us. As I recall, I was out cutting the grass when he and a couple of friends came out of the woods calling to me, Dad, Dad, he said, you have to come and see this gigantic tree we discovered. They were convinced no one else had ever seen this tree but them. It's the biggest tree in the world, they exclaimed. Well, off we went. No path. I just followed them kind of proudly, thinking I'll have to pretend to be excited when we get there. Little did I know that I didn't have to pretend because there it was, in the middle of the woods, the largest tree I had ever seen. It was beautiful, awe-inspiring, fantastic. Just for the fun of it, we decided to join hands and see if we could circle this enormous trunk. And sure enough, three young boys and myself holding hands just barely got our arms around it. You know, We'd take friends there often to see it, and it always impressed everyone. I'm not sure if it's still there, but I do know that it'll always be there in our memory. I'm going to end it there. I'm Doug Still, and thank you for listening to this special episode of This Old Tree. Thank you to Tom, Katie, Jean, Andy, Thomas, Bear, Walt, and Mike for contributing their tree stories. Listeners, if you would like to submit a three-minute tree story short about an important tree in your life, you can record it on the Voice Memo app on your phone and email it to me. I would love to hear from you. I'm taking a short break during the holiday season, but please tune in for the next episode on January 12th. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your podcast app and that way we're easy to find the next time you want to listen. You can get transcriptions, links, and information about all our guests in the show notes. You can see photos and other related tree stuff if you follow This Old Tree on Instagram, Facebook, or Mastodon. Here's arborist and songwriter Dee Lee to take us out. See you next time. This old tree Standing here for more than four centuries 
Wonder what you'd say if you could talk to me About what it's like to be this old tree Shadow and shade Kids down the block are selling lemonade Send them down a cool breeze, a sweet cascade Tailor made by this old tree Sixteen hundred, you were just a seed Reaching for the sky high Waiting for a chance to take your place In the warm sunshine Here I go High above the place where the people grow Leave my troubles on the ground far below So I can get to know this old tree Summer sparkle in your leaves Autumn winds will bring release Winter calls for you In green Above the town Ships on the water Spy your royal crown Sentinel of green Two points off starboard bow Homeward bound To this old tree In 1800 you felt the thunder roll And lightning split the sky high Though the fire raged in the little town below You managed to survive With the scar upon your side This old tree Reach out and touch a living history Beneath my hands an ancient mystery How small I am by this old tree How small I am by this old tree